What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Dimling here with y'all, as always, coming to y'all on a Sunday, Easter Sunday, to be exact. Uh, you know, hope everyone had a good Easter, was able to get together with your families, and all of that good stuff. But we've got some lacrosse to talk about today. Um, busy weekend of college lacrosse, a really good weekend of college lacrosse. One of the better weekends, I would say, that we've had in a while. We've had some duty weekends here recently. And while I don't you know, obviously we only had one ACC game this weekend, uh, which in the past we've had multiple, um, this weekend certainly you know, lived up to the hype in multiple ways. We had some upsets that we're going to get to. Uh, we had some games in which we saw separation, I, I, I would say, um, in certain conferences. So uh, we will get into all of that here on today's episode. But we're going to start in the ACC with the lone ACC game as the Notre Dame Fighting Irish took down the Syracuse Orange 18-11 to in the Dome. Now, 18-11 to final here. Um, this is one where, let's pull up the box score here. It was, this was a close game. Um, and I know a lot of Syracuse fans are kind of, I would say, overreacting to this one. Because honestly, like, um, throw away the second half. Like, the first half of this game, I thought Syracuse played fine. I mean, it's an 11-8 to eight game at half. Yes, you do not want Notre Dame to put up nine goals on you in the second. And that's really where the tide started to change. But the first quarter, you, you're up 5-2. to two. Now, in that first half, specifically in the first period of play, Syracuse defense... Okay. Very aggressive. They did not slide well or much at all all night long or all game. They just didn't. Um, and Notre Dame, to their credit, certainly starting in the second uh, period, took advantage of that. Uh, took advantage of that and were able to beat their guys one-on-one. Um, the Notre Dame midfield... I, I thought one of my main takeaways from this one was, you know, I would take the Notre Dame midfield over the Syracuse midfield any day. Um, wh- when you look at when you look at Jack Boyce, when you look at Dobson, uh, you know they had five combined points there, and McMahon. I think ended with two, I want to say, or with one. Um, yeah, McMahon had one goal. And then Dobson had two, and Jack Boys had one goal and two assists. I mean, this Notre Dame midfield 
showed out. And yeah, we'll talk about Pat Kavanaugh. Pat Kavanaugh, I think, had a... Can't argue his best game of his career. And, you know, nine points, five assists, four goals. I mean, come on, man. Nine points in the game as a sophomore. Um... He's just unbelievable, man. And he's continued to play at this level all season long. You know, like I said, the Syracuse defense early on was very aggressive. I liked what I saw from Doth and Oladume at that short stick defensive midfield spot. I thought both of those guys played their hearts out um, in this game. Very intense play from that midfield defensively for Syracuse. The close D, that's a different situation. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Notre Dame, not only just the midfield, but the attack as well, was able to beat Syracuse one-on-one pretty much all game. Um, there was some struggles early on from the Notre Dame offense. And as I mentioned, the Syracuse D was playing very aggressive on ball. But the off-ball defense, the off-ball pressure just w- was not there. And the Irish, you know, to the, again, to their credit, took full advantage of that. And they recognized, look, we have the faster athletes. We have the better we have the better athletes at multiple spots, and we can expose these matchups, and they did just that. Um, and, like, when you look, you know, out, Kavanaugh had five assists. Jack Boyce had two, and then Hollenbeck and Leahy and Gallagher each had one. Gallagher coming off that faceoff there. And, and, and Gallagher was, you know, you know got to mention him, too. I mean, he played... Out of his mind, you know, after um, after taking, uh, having an off day, I would say, um, against Virginia, when Losala was able to neutralize Gallagher and Leonard, um, Gallagher really stepped in today, or Saturday, I should say, uh, 15 for 22, Leonard went 8 for 10. I mean, they just absolutely took it uh, to Varello, Fop, and uh, Jack Savage uh, played most of the game for Syracuse. Um, actually, the freshman, I, I thought actually, you know, he did okay, six for seventeen against a faceoff unit like Notre Dame, uh, which has a two-headed monster there. Um, I thought Savage played well. You know, you know, he 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 played his butt off. Um, and every single draw, if you go back and you watch it, you know, it, it wasn't like he was getting eaten alive, um, or eaten alive at the faceoff dot. Um, he was competitive, and I think that's all you can ask for uh, for a freshman up against one of the best faceoff men in the country, one of the best faceoff units in the country, uh, not, not only just the ACC. Now, I mentioned, you know, the first half, 
I thought was fine for Syracuse besides the end, besides like that run there. Um, I think it was a what, one, two, three, four. Besides that five goal run in the second, um, that's really when we started to see some breakdowns of the Syracuse, of the Syracuse defense. But offensively, I, I I thought Syracuse when they were able to get possessions, I thought they played fine offensively for the most part. Um, you know, the my main takeaway of the Syracuse offense from this game was they are best when moving the ball. They are not able, especially against the Notre Dame defense, uh, which they really force you to, okay, beat me on the dodge. Beat me up top. Like, they force you to beat them with your midfield. And Syracuse has a fantastic midfield, a very productive midfield. Um, but they were not able to do that today. And um, Notre Dame's offense played a, it played a dang good game. Um, must be defense played a dang good game against Syracuse, uh, executed very well. Uh, you had Rafis with three goals, Seabold and Scanlon with two each, um, as well as Curry, uh, who was the only midfielder, I believe, in the top five of scoring, uh, if I'm not mistaken, for the Orange. Let's pull this up here. Uh, well, Curry had, uh, yeah, Curry was the only midfielder in their top five um, of scoring. So, um, you know, not a good day, not a productive day from the midfield. Uh, Notre Dame was able to neutralize that. And, look, we've talked before. Syracuse has so many options that um, any day anyone could step up and take over. Today, Rafis was the guy. Um they're having three goals to lead the way. But, you know, when you're not getting those possessions, you're not getting those opportunities. And I I really think that that defensive collapse that we saw from Syracuse around the second period, um, and it really lasted throughout the rest, of, throughout the remainder of the game, it, it just sucked the energy out, out of Q's, sucked the energy out of the dome. Um, and they were never able to come back. And look, it's it's an eleven to it's a fourteen to eleven game. That's a three goal game. It's a three goal game with two minutes left in the third. And so you know you're coming into the final stanza down three. And Syracuse in the fourth, I think, is really where we saw them struggle because they were not, despite being down three, you know, they had been able to answer here and there throughout the game. Yes, they were losing and they had some horrific plays, especially defensively. But when you're only down, you know, they were able to answer with Scanlon, Seabold, and Rafis, three back-to-back goals late in the third. And you kind of thought, okay, Syracuse is going to get back into this, and they were just never able to do this, to to do that. So that is enough going over that game. Um, but you know, I do think the Syracuse fans who are go to any Syracuse message board um, 
And, uh, you know, I think it is a little bit of an overreaction because I, I, I honestly don't think they played that bad while to while. Um, they did have some flashes even once things started to break down. You thought, okay, they're going to be able to come back, and they were just never able to do that. Credit to Notre Dame. They took every they took advantage of every single thing they could, and they won that game. Um, so very, very good game for the Irish. Um, moving on to the Big Ten, where we had Rutgers beat Ohio State ten to nine. Um, look, we my my biggest takeaway from this weekend is that we kind of know what the Big Ten uh, pecking order is to an extent. Um, and I talked about that o- o- on Thursday. I said, you know, depending on what the Michigan-Hopkins game ends up being, which we'll talk about that here um, in a few minutes uh, when we get to Sundays. Uh, that's the on- only game we'll talk about on Sunday. But, um, you know, coming out of this weekend, it- it's Maryland Gap. Rutgers gap, Ohio State little gap, uh, maybe a huge gap. I haven't decided on that yet, but there's a gap. And then you have Penn State, Hopkins, Michigan. Put them in whatever order you want. Uh, the bottom is still the bottom, but it's a freaking mess. Uh, the bottom half of the middle tier is is a mess. Um, and and, and look. You know, coming into the weekend, I had all those teams kind of bunched up together. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Hopkins. I think Ohio State has broken away from the pack there um, at the bottom. And and, and this game really proved to me Ohio State is much improved. Um, Yeah, Ryan Terafinko was back, and he made a huge difference in this game. And while I don't think... Obviously, nine goals is not going to get you wins in today's game for the most part. Um, and while I do think they did have some struggles in some areas, I think defensively they played as about as good as anyone could against that Rutgers offense. And Rutgers, look, this is the second best team in the Big Ten, no doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt in my mind that this is the second best team in the Big Ten. I, I don't think anyone will argue with that at all. Um, now, Rutgers did take a 6-3 to three lead at the half. Um, and you kind of thought, okay, maybe they're going to pull away here in the second half. Which, you know, in the first game, it was a blowout. It was like 20-11 to 11 or something like that. It was a freaking blowout. It was not this time around. So Ohio State, much improved. Taylor Finko's back. He was phenomenal. Uh, one of the best midfielders in the country. You know, as far as Ohio State goes defensively outside of Taylor Finko, obviously a two-way guy. Eric Wins did his thing. Uh, Van De Bevogenkamp did his thing as well. Um, so... My biggest takeaway here was not 
Rutgers because I think we we all know what Rutgers is. We all know, you know, who they are and what they've done to teams this year. My biggest takeaway from this game was that Ohio State has improved. Um, and honestly, look, if if I'm Rutgers, I don't want to draw Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament. I know that sounds and look, they probably will face each other. Um, all the teams get in this year, so obviously the seeding will determine those matchups there. But you know, as a fan, I'd love to see this matchup. Uh, but I, I, I do think you know, I do think if if so, the Big Ten I think right now is getting two in the tournament: Maryland and Rutgers. I don't think Ohio State is getting in. The only way they're going to get in is if they win the Big Ten. I don't think they're even anywhere close to Maryland. From a talent standpoint, from a depth standpoint, they're just not. No one is. Rutgers is the closest to them, and there's a freaking river in between those two. Okay. Um... But Ohio State, they proved to uh, on Saturday, they had they proved on Saturday how much they've improved. Um, certainly defensively, certainly offensively, didn't get as much as they wanted. I don't think uh, with only nine goals, but that Rutgers defense was playing aggressive, um, aggressive defense from the start. Um, you know, they, they were pressuring the ball very, very well from the get-go. Uh, really limited that Ohio State offense where we saw uh, Jack Myers lead the way with five points. Griffin Hughes with three goals as well. Um, for Rutgers, we had Charlotte Beatties with three goals, one assist. Uh, Knobloch with one goal, one, uh, one goal, one assist. Gallagher also had that. Coast had two goals. Um, Coast and Cage. Uh, Colin Coast uh, with 15 saves. I thought he played fantastic. Uh, was obviously the better of the two goalies in this one. Um, and, and probably, you know, he did prove to be uh, a difference maker there, making that save at the end there. Uh, so, you know, a, a good win for Rutgers, uh, just getting by off the good of their teeth, but um, the skin of their teeth. But, uh, you know, so f- for this one, like, obviously, again, my biggest takeaway was not what Rutgers is, but um, how well Ohio State played. That that was very shocking to me. I, I thought Rutgers would win. I thought Ohio State would play better than they did last time, but I certainly did not see a one-goal game. Moving to out of the Big Ten, out of the Power Two conferences in college lacrosse, and Moving into the Patriot League, where uh, we had some big-time matchups on Saturday, Lehigh and Army and Loyola and Navy. Um, and we'll start here with the uh, the Mountain Hawks and the Black Knights. Now, first of all, I want to say, um, if you did not watch this game, go back and watch it. Uh, this was a fantastic game. 13-12, Lehigh victory. Um, the Black Knights actually were down. Uh, I think it was a 3-5 to five goal Lehigh lead at one point. 
I don't have the box scroll up here, just the notes. My notes from Saturday, Hugh, but, um, you know, and Army was, had to come back a bit, and, and they were able to tie it at 11. Um, and then Lehigh obviously gets the gets the goals they need down the stretch uh, to secure that win uh, there. And, uh, look, my first takeaway from this game is Lehigh's for real, y'all. Um, I just saw before popping on here the College Cross website. Their ranking, they have Lehigh at number five uh, over Rutgers, Notre Dame, and Virginia. Now, I don't know if I'd put them that high, but both of these teams are certainly top ten teams. No question in my mind about it. Lehigh and Army are both top 10 teams, and they both proved it on Saturday. Um, Lehigh is for real. These two teams looked like absolute mere images of each other, honestly. You know, and we knew that coming in because you, if you'd watched either team prior to this game, you knew what they were offensively, defensively. Um, the, the, the one X factor that I pointed to on Thursday that said will define this game is Mike Sisselberger. If, you know, I thought if Army could neutralize him or if they could find a way to um, limit Army, excuse me, limit Lehigh despite offensively, despite getting those extra possessions from his dominance at the faceoff dot, I thought Army. I thought that was the only way Army was going to win this game. The the former happened where you had Lehigh just the Sisselberger did his thing, continued his impressive season. He's playing phenomenal. Okay, he continued that trend. Uh, pulling up the stats here, he went. 23 for 27. That's 85%. He dominated. But to Army's credit, he was able, or they were able, to neutralize the Lehigh offense as best as possible. And look, they lose by one goal to a team that's a top 10, top 5 team, whatever you, you think they are. Certainly a top 10 team. This is not a bad loss for Army. Um, and for both of these teams, honestly, they showed why why they are ranked where they are. They proved their worth in this game. Um, statement win for Lehigh to, to really show people how good they are. Um, and, and, and again, a statement win, a statement game for Army as they were able to uh, stick with Lehigh wire to wire, had that big comeback um, there in the second half. Uh, Brendan Nickton, seven points, unbelievable game from him, five goals to assist. John Zdorsky, two goals, four assists for Lehigh. Cole Coast had four goals as well. I uh, thought the Lehigh offense showed some more diversity in this game than they usually have, but 
you know, overall just a fantastic game from both sides. Again, mere images of each other, a physical game, and uh, Sisselberger was the difference as you know as we thought he would be. Moving on to another Patriot League game that took went down on Saturday, Loyola taking down Navy fourteen to ten. Now look, um, this is one where it was, you know. This was a game in which Navy had to come back. And I don't remember the exact score it was at the half, but things did not look good for Navy in that first half. Uh, The Loyola, so Bailey Savio, um, after having a bad game against Towson, bounces back, um, goes 19 for 28 at the dot, just absolutely kills it, especially in the second half. Kevin Lindley, Joey Kamish, Aiden Olmstead, like the the Loyola offense is back, you know, and, and and they did their thing. We saw Sam Schaefer. I thought had one probably his best game of the season. I would say in cage. Um, it, it was just a great all around performance from from Loyola in this one. Um, obviously Navy taking the Taking the loss here, their first loss of the season. They dropped a three and one on the year. You know, Navy in this one, and I went back and watched the full game, but you know, initially I just watched the second half, and you know, Navy did not give up an inch. Like they did not give up at all. Uh when they were down, you know. They were down, as I pull up the box score here, I mean, they were down a bit, quite a bit at the half. And, you know, they refused to lay down. Um, They refused to give up. So they were blanked 3-0 in the first quarter. And then it's 8-2 at half. 8-2 at half. Navy, they won the second half. They, They did. They won the second half. Um... You know, they had four in the third and the fourth. Um, so, you know, just going off the second half, they win eight to six if you just go off the second half. Like, the second half was a close game. Um, now, those two pretty sizable runs that Loyola had at the beginning, I mean, it's a, it's a 4-1, it's a 4-0 lead early in the second. Um, and even while, you know, uh, Skolnick and Jarzo are able to get two goals there off of Nick Cole, um, assist to get Navy going and make it a four two to two game. You no, know, Loyola ends the half on it was just one two on a four goal run to take that eight to two lead, and it looked for a minute there like Navy's got nothing left. Didn't look like they had nothing left in the tank. I don't think that's a good analogy, but you know, it, it looked like they were getting beat and they were going to get beat bad. Um, but to their credit, they they stuck it out. They stuck through it, um, even when they were down twelve to four um, with 
you know, just under, I believe it was five minutes to go in the third. Um, Mute down by eight goals, and, you know, they were able to come back, and they ended the game on a four-goal run. Um, really go six from the two, the 250 mark in the third through the final whistle. Um, it's a 6-2 Navy game. And, you know, that just shows the fight they had to come back in this one. Uh, Spencer Lee's obviously playing very well. Um, again, uh, 13 saves. I thought the goalie play in this one was fantastic. Really highlighted the game. And really, that, that's kind of the main thing I highlighted leading up to it. Um, hit the microphone there. Um, that, that's the... Uh, the really the battle that I had highlighted leading up to this game on Thursday's podcast was the goalie play because Spencer Lee's Sam Schaefer, two of the best goalies in the Patriot League, um, and, and they suddenly showed that on Saturday. Some other games I do want to mention here, um, and we will start in the CAA. Oh, let's start in the America East. So. We had UMBC take down Vermont 10 to 8. Um, you know, someone had asked me, they said, Were you surprised by that? You know, not a hundred percent. Um, I did think Vermont was gonna win the game, but a 10 to 8 win over UMBC uh, over Vermont for UMBC, you know, something that I I certainly did not think was out of the realm of possibilities. Um, you know, Tommy Linger, phenomenal game in cage. You know, got to give him props. Uh, Ryan Cornell for Vermont also had a good game in cage as well. So th- these are these are two good teams. And, uh, you know, I don't think that they're on the schedule again um, this year. Yeah, they're not on the schedule again this year. Um regular season-wise, but I would love to see a rematch of this in the America East tournament. Um, as you know, two, I mean, look, UMBC, I think, coming in, people had some questions uh, with you know, new defensive coordinator there and everything and, and had lost some some talent from a year ago, but you know, they, they've, showed, um, they've shown week in, week out, they can compete with anyone in their conference, and you know, they're doing it um, and, and continue to do it. Um, the one game I think I was shocked with the most was uh, Drexel 12, UMass 11. So UMass coming off that win over uh, Hofstra on Tuesday. Big uh, you know CAA matchup there. They come into another big CAA matchup against Drexel. And you know, I talked on Thursday's show about how competitive this series has been. Uh, in 2019... UMass beat Drexel in the first uh, in the first meeting the regular season, and then Drexel goes and upsets UMass in the 2019 uh, CAA semifinals. Um, and you know this is a series that I think even the 2018 season was a pretty dang close game, um, if I remember correctly. And so this is a series that's been pretty hotly contested. Um, over the past couple of years, obviously didn't play in 2020, but um, you know, in, in the series, it lived up to the hype. It lived up certainly to what I thought it was going to be. 
Um, you know, when you look in at, at the goalie position, obviously Matt Note, I think, has an upper hand over uh, Blumenthal talent-wise, but they both played a heck of a game. Um, eight saves for uh, Blumenthal, nine for Note. Um, but, you know, offensively was, you know, Drexel's offense just looked so much better than UMass's offense. Um, I don't know if they were tired from Tuesday's game. They shouldn't have been. Um, I don't know, you know what the what the situation was there, but they just, from what I saw, and I, I didn't watch the full game, um, you know, I, I was kind of going back and forth, kind of second screen thing. And I did go back and watch at least the first, uh, the second half, and I just thought UMass looked out of sorts at times on offense. Um, but credit to Sean Donnelly for, for Drexel. Um, he's been having an unbelievable season for uh, the Dragons put up eight points in this one. Um, uh, Yeah, eight points in this one. Uh, Two goals, six assists. And this is a week after having six points against Robert Morris. So, uh, no, he comes up big again for Drexel in this one. A big win for the uh, Dragons. And uh, before we move on here, I do want to mention... On Tuesday's show, I will go over the uh, conference races as they sit right now. So I'm not going to mention that today, but we will go over that on Tuesday's show. Hofstra beating Towson eight to seven. Um, man, you got like look. Towson's the better team. Obviously, they played like it in this one. Um, very, very low scoring, close game. Uh, Ryan Tierney, Justin Sykes. Combined for uh, eight points in this one to help lead that Hofstra offense. Uh, Bobby Casey again with uh, a stellar performance in cage. Um, and then when you look at the faceoff dot, Brian Herbert, man. You know, we, we just mentioned a few minutes ago, Bailey Savio bounces back after having a bad performance against Shane Sanatora. Uh, Santora and Towson. Um, well, Santora and, and the Tigers had a horrific showing on Saturday. Uh, Brian Herbert goes 13 for 18 at the dot, helps get this win. You know, he's been, past couple games, has really shined, has really been that X factor there. I think Bobby Casey uh, is really coming into his own, obviously missed first half of the season. Uh, and, and comes back just, I think, a week and a half ago is when he came back, and he's been playing unbelievable um, in cage for Hofstra. So a good win there for the Pride. Um, another one here, and then we'll get into uh, Virginia Richmond and Michigan Hopkins. Um, another mid-major one here, Robert Morris, 16, Jacksonville, 15. Well, I, I did not watch this one. I'm going to go back and watch it um, tonight uh, on the live stream that they had there. This one was a neutral site in South Carolina. Um, man, I was surprised by this score, to be honest with y'all. Um, I thought, you know, Robert Morris has been a bit inconsistent-ish at times, uh, but Ryan Smith, Jimmy Perkins are really starting to come into their own. They did that again today. 
seven and five points for uh, Smith and Perkins, respectively. But look, Evan Tyler, Matt Stagnita, Jeremy Winston did their thing for uh, the Jacksonville offense as well. And this was a close game. And, uh, you know, the, the Dolphins are able to pull it off uh, really here. And, you know, from, from just looking at the box score, and, you know, it is clear that there are some areas face off uh, being won. Well, Jacksonville is just better. Uh, goalie, uh, another one where we saw uh, Yokinto have 12 saves there. But to be honest, and from the bit of game I did see, which was like the last two minutes um, of this one, you know, RMU, the defense looks more improved. The offense looks much improved. Uh, really, really hate it for these guys that they are not in a conference this year because I think they would be a fun team in the NCAA tournament. Obviously not going to get in being an independent, especially this year. Virginia, 18. Richmond, 10. This is not one I need to go over too much. Uh, Virginia comes out firing on all cylinders. Um, I don't remember the exact score at the half, but uh, let's just say it was not close. Um, Richmond, to the credit, put together a bit of a comeback late, uh, but Against a team like Virginia, hard-pressed to come back uh, once you're down. But I think it was like 9 or whatever at the half, if I remember correctly there. Uh, but Connor Schallenberger, Matt Moore, you know, Virginia is another one of these teams where anybody, anyone can step up. Um, Doc Aiken, any day and have a big game. Doc Aiken did not have a big game after two solid games. Uh, in a row, he has one assist there. But Schellenberger, Moore, Dixon, uh, Cormier pick up the pace there, um, and and you no know, Virginia essentially sprinted to victory in this one. Uh, we saw Alex Rode and Bobby Gavin get time in cage, and at the faceoff dot, we saw P.D. Rosala continue uh, his success seventy percent. There, uh, Virginia defense overall, I thought, played very well. You know, they've made strides this year. Obviously, Richmond, uh, the favorite in the SoCon, the head and shoulders best team in the SoCon. Uh, you know, don't think this loss affects them in any way as far as SoCon is concerned. I believe they're the last non-con game for both of these teams, if I'm not mistaken. Turning the page here to Easter Sunday, where the Michigan Wolverines had a monumental win. Monumental win for the Wolverines, taking down Johns Hopkins 13-10. And look, the only stat you need to know for this, only stat, John Kirikoff, 16 saves. Believe it was his second best performance of his of his career at Michigan. Unbelievable play, unbelievable play. Not only from him, but the Michigan defense, um, and then offensively, obviously, Sawada is going to get his. Bonomi got his. Um, this is a Michigan program that I've mentioned before. I'm very high on the future of, um, and I think today. 
which was their first win over Johns Hopkins. Now, granted, you can say, well, this is not the Hopkins of old. No, it's not. Um, but first program win over a program with the name of Johns Hopkins. And it's the first time that Michigan has won two Big Ten games in a season. Big win for the Wolverines. Um, and this is one, it was a close game. 13-10 final, certainly not one that was uh, one-sided at all. Michigan had to fight to earn this one. You know, they were down entering the second, really late in the second through the third. They caught fire uh, on both ends. Kirchhoff, I think, had uh, six or nine of his saves, um, his 16 saves during that time period. Um, just unbelievable game from him. The Michigan defense, I thought, looks much improved. Um, and we mentioned against Ohio State a few weeks ago, this is a Michigan team, and I've mentioned this back in the offseason as well, full of young talent. And these young guys are starting to be developed. Guys like Zawada and Schreiber, uh, all the defensive end. Like These guys are starting to be developed. Um, they're recruiting at a higher pace than they ever have before, higher level than they ever have before. Uh, this is a program that is going upwards, and it's going upwards uh, pretty quickly. You know, this year, I thought, and this was before the Big Ten schedule. When the Big Ten schedule came out and they said, we'll go on conference only, when they made that radical move, I thought, man, this hurts Michigan. They're not going to win a game. They're not going to win a game. But uh, beat Penn State, played Ohio State as close as you can in the first one before getting uh, beat pretty bad in the second one. And then you beat Hopkins. So, you know, Michigan has shown me nothing this year to point to a um, a regression. They, they've, you know, the Michigan who beat, who was blasted by Yale to, in 2020, not at all the Michigan that we've seen this year. There's been a lot of growth there, a lot of positive momentum there. So, humongous win for Michigan. You know, do have to talk about Hopkins for a second. I thought the offense, once they got in that groove, and look, they dominated at the faceoff dot. They dominated. Um, Rowlett for Michigan was taken out in the third, I believe, is when he was taken out. So, he didn't play the full game. Um, he went 50% when he was in there. He played fine. Uh, but Norwis, Norwiski for uh, for um, Johns Hopkins, 13 for 22 on the game. 9 for 13 in the second half alone. Uh, big reason why, you know, Hopkins was able to get that spark and to come back and uh, eventually made it a one-goal game with about five minutes left in the contest. Um, it was the first one goal game, first one goal uh, deficit for either team since the uh, since the halftime, when it was, uh, I believe, uh, six to five at the half, Michigan. So, uh, you know, Hopkins was able to put some things together late and come back. Could not come all the way back and get the win. Again, humongous win for Michigan. Congrats to the Wolverines there. That is it for today's episode. 
we do have one coming up, as always, on Tuesday, where we will preview some Saturday games as well as the um, games coming up this midweek, uh, which we do have a pretty decent one, uh, intriguing one, I should say, on Tuesday, excuse me, on Thursday uh, with Syracuse and Albany. Um, again, another Friday or big Friday night one in the CAA, UMass and Hofstra, as well as Monmouth and Detroit Mercy should be a decent one there as well. So we'll go over all of those games, midweek games, on Tuesday's show and uh, maybe, maybe preview a couple Saturday uh, weekend games also on those, on Tuesday's episode. Uh, and as I mentioned, we will go through, uh, that's what we'll start the podcast with on Tuesday, going through each and every conference race uh, that there is at the moment. As always, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, iHeartRadio, all the podcast platforms. Leave a five-star review on the Apple podcast app if that is what you use. None of the other apps allow you to do five-star reviews or reviews uh, of any kind uh, for that matter. You can connect with us on social media at Bucket on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My personal at Tanner underscore Demling, lacrossebucket.com is the website. See y'all on Tuesday.